Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you all for being here today for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Glad that you could join us as we move into our first full week of live broadcasts in 2020. And as I think I'll probably do every day this week, remind you that uh, starting yesterday, we went to our five-day-a-week schedule, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, adding Thursday. Many of you have said for a long time, what the heck? Was that that you weren't on on Thursdays? It's not worth even going into the details, but we are now on Thursdays, Fridays, and the rest of the week as well. So I hope you'll join us uh, on five days a week for Political Rewind. Goodness knows there's going to be a lot to talk about this year. Uh, Kevin Riley, who is uh, my partner on many Tuesdays, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Always a pleasure, and uh, it sounds like the year's off to a good start. Happy 2020 to you and yeah. all the listeners. Yeah, to you too. Thanks again for uh, being in here today. Across from you uh, in the studio, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you, which you can do, by the way, by just going to the GPB news page on Facebook, you will see State Representative Terry Anulowitz. She is a Democrat who represents uh, most of your territory is Smyrna, I think it's fair to say. Smyrna and Marietta. Okay, Marietta as well. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, Terry. Thank you for having me. Brian Robinson is here. Brian, of course, was um, Nathan Deal's uh, communications director during uh, Nathan Deal's first term. He then uh, left the governor's office and went on to uh, form his own company. You do strategic affairs, government relations, that sort of work. Isn't that the way to say it? Public affairs communications, yep. Okay, but, you know, two two things we don't say enough about you. Uh, one of them is uh, we have mentioned that you did work on the Hill for Lynn Westmoreland yeah. uh, a number of years ago when he was representing Georgia's 3rd District. But more important, we never talk about the fact that you really began your career um, working at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I did. Yeah, that was my... I, I graduated from UGA on a Friday and started working at the AJC on the next Monday, and I was there for five years. Five years? Yeah. That was before Riley's time there. It was. He didn't have the opportunity to ask you to leave. He had not been lucky enough to have been asked to move <laughs> south yet. Yeah, I, uh, well, we're glad Brian went on to an honest living. <laughs> <laughs> joining, us, joining us, speaking of the AJC from Washington, is Tia Mitchell, who is off to a big start up there covering not just impeachment now, but the swearing in of Kelly Leffler, uh, the fallout from the Iranian uh, attack. Tia, thanks for joining us from uh, on a very, what I'm sure is a very busy day up there for you. Well, I'm happy to be here, and I'm just trying to figure things out because the city's shutting down because they're expecting oh, snow. that's right. You've got a big snowstorm. I hope you're in a place where you can spend time talking to us and not worry about getting home. Well, I'm at the Capitol, so we'll figure it out later. Okay. All right. Let us know if we need to sell, send St. Bernard's your way. All right. Let me start with you, if I may, Tia. Uh, Kelly Leffler, of course, sworn in yesterday to the what was the Johnny Isaacson seat in the United States Senate. You covered all that. Um, the, I think the first question I have is how— Leffler has not done an awful lot of media since being named to the job. Uh, she's uh, kind of uh, taken her time to slowly expose herself out in the public. Um, how did you find her yesterday on the first day of kind of having to navigate the halls of the Capitol where you reporters are all over the place? Well, she still was very... Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that evolves but you know it was her first day yeah she had you know specific places to be at certain times so it's still not like she's kind of uh thrown to the wolves so to speak as she may you know be later on down the road um and and i do think you know there's definitely you know this is all new and fresh to her and you could see literally on the senate floor before and after her swearing in her colleagues were coming up to her and saying hey i'm so and so from this state glad to meet you you know so it definitely you know and i think she's trying to take it all in she's very poised um and you could tell she was taking in the gravity of the situation that was very apparent in her body language uh both during the swearing in and even 
and even after when they reenacted it for the media. Um, but I think it's just, a, it's all new and it's coming at her fast. Uh, it's interesting to me, uh, Kevin Riley, that uh, she posted on uh, social media a brief in, uh, video that she did shortly after being sworn in. And as Tia can certainly tell us, uh, the first she talked in this video about the first vote she cast, which was a closure vote, so that the Senate could vote on uh, President Trump's appointee to have the Small Businesses uh, 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 Administration. Tia, before I turn to Kevin on it, I thought what was interesting in her video is she made clear that she cast this closure vote and then said, for President Trump's nominee for the Small Business Administration, uh, even in something like that, making sure people know she's on the president's side, right? Yes, and she's that's been a theme, you know, from day one with her. Um, I think some of that's born out of the conservative backlash that occurred when her name was first floated, even before she became the appointee. I think some of that is born out of Doug Collins nipping at her heels as a possible challenger later this year in the special election. So um, I think, you know, in order to try to protect herself as she wants to stay in this in this job for the long term, she wants to play up herself as a conservative, as an ally of Donald Trump. Because remember, initially Donald Trump was was pushing for Collins to yep. get the seat. Yep. You know, he never opposed her specifically, but he was not she was not Donald Trump's first pick. And I think, you know, she's working hard to to approve get the president's approval and also get the conservatives who kind of look to the president for their cues get their approval. Yeah, uh, Kevin, the jury is still very much out on whether conservative Georgians uh, have decided they will support her. They still have, there are many questions, some of which we've talked about on this show, as to whether she, they feel she's really in their corner. Right. I mean, I think uh, because of this, the way this whole appointment came about. And, um, you know, the, the other thing about Doug Collins, who's a favorite, of course, of the conservatives is, man, has anyone been on television more than Doug Collins lately? I mean, over, because of the impeachment stuff. And so I do think that she is making every effort to make clear that, that she'll support the president. What I'm interested in from from Brian, Brian and Terry is, is so in a way, though, this is the easy part, right? I mean, she's got a lot of work ahead, campaigning and all of that. I mean, uh, to be an instant senator, I mean, it's the real work's ahead, right? I mean, what, what would you be watching if, if, if any of you were, if either of you were advising her? Right. <laughs> well, Kevin, I first want to reference something that you guys published this morning in The Morning Jolt, which is a must read for everybody in Georgia politics, that basically showed Collins with a massive lead over our new senator in this polling. And it is extraordinary because our House delegation, there's, we have 14 members, and almost no Georgians can name all 14. And in fact, if you can name your own, you're doing pretty good on a civics test, right? So these people don't have name ID, and yet Doug has got statewide name yeah. ID. I yeah. mean, it's absolutely extraordinary, and it is because he's taken such a high-profile role on the Judiciary Committee and as a Trump spokesperson. He's on Fox News all the time. Three-quarters of Georgia Republicans watch Fox News every week. It's an extraordinarily high percentage. So he is speaking directly to them. He's in a very powerful spot. I still think, even though these numbers are great, even though he's got all of this going for him, his window is still short because Kelly is taking advantage of this time to get around the state. You know, if you follow her on social media, she was in places like Augusta and Homerville, which is down on the Florida line, very small community in Carrollton. So she's getting around the state. And she had a great turnout at the Cobb County GOP this weekend. Lots of folks there. I saw a lot of the party apparatus people, the grassroots folks, uh, posting photos with her. So that's something that she needs to do. She needs to build goodwill and trust with that segment because they're not a huge segment, but they're a loud segment. And so she's reaching out to them directly. And she's also going to have to start spending some of that $20 million now. And it may end up being $30, $40 million because 
they saw these numbers this morning, too. I'm sure they already had numbers that were similar. I'm sure Doug Collins has numbers that are similar or, t- or paint the same picture. So she is going to have to get name ID and and drive up her favorable ratings rapidly yeah. or, or Doug will, will be able to go in for the kill. Terry, uh, what Brian's referring to is uh, the, the Jolt published a Mason-Dixon uh, poll, which, which did show – uh, that uh, the jury is very much still out about yes. whether Republicans are ready to embrace Kelly Leffler or not. Well, and the other thing, you know, Brian mentioned Kelly, uh, excuse me, Doug Collins's statewide name ID. He's got national name ID also. Yeah. And this is going to be a nationally funded race. Whoever the Democrat is, they're going to be getting a lot of money from across the United States. And I think that if you're going to really be able to compete, this is going to be a high level. I think you're right that $20 million is probably just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's going to be what she's going to need to be spending on this race or what she'll need to be raising if she doesn't want to put more than $20 million of her own money in there. But he's got the national name ID. She, I mean, my advice to her would not that I would be anyone giving advice to her, but my advice to her would be she's got to nail every on-camera opportunity she has, every opportunity she has behind a microphone. She has to be ready to be on. And I haven't necessarily heard that yet. Yeah. yeah, Tia, you said something interesting about her, though. Um, I've, um, you know, had opportunities in the past to talk with uh, Kelly Leffler and her husband. Um, and, And it is certainly true without regard to her political posture to her partisan leanings. She is a very polished professional. Professional. She presents herself as someone who's clearly smart, who uh, it, it, it understands, you know, what people are thinking about. I mean, there's no, she, is a, she is a very smart individual who ought to be able to present herself well. But, but, but Tia, you know, the question becomes, the more that she talks about how completely in the president's corner she is, um, it, 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 it doesn't satisfy uh, those conservatives who look at her career in the WNBA, look at uh, some of the other aspects of her past and just don't she's donated to Democrats. Tia, they just aren't convinced quite yet. Yeah, I think that and we've talked about this before even the last time I was on your show, I think she, you know, number one, wants to convince the Trump folks and the Trump supporters that she's one of them because she's going to need that in order to win an election in 2020 and beyond. But, you know, there's been all this talk about, you know, her checking off boxes that can help, you know, Republicans regain ground in the Atlanta suburbs. And I you know, I, I don't think the message will allow her to do both. So, and it seems right now she's focused on boosting her conservative bona fides, and that's really her goal. But that could mean in the long term that she's not as helpful in accomplishing that other goal that we know the Republican Party is also concerned about. Well, the other thing, uh, Bill, I, and again, I, I'd love to know what, what uh, Brian and Terry think about this, too. I mean, to be a successful politician, ultimately, she's going to have to love to raise money and love to campaign. Well, right? she doesn't have doesn't to raise have, a whole lot of but, money no, but, but, except for opening her own checkbook. <laughs> no, but the truth is she won't fund the whole campaign. I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, she'll have you to— You need to have people donate to show right, grassroots right, right, support. Right, right, right. But, but is that what you find? I mean, you've worked with so many politicians. You're, I mean, you got to love that stuff. you got to love to get out there, and it, that's the real work of politics, right? You, you it, have to love it, and you have to be authentic. And I think that right now there are a lot of Georgians who really don't know who the authentic Kelly left is. So we knew exactly who Johnny Isaacson was. Okay, so yes. I want to throw this out. We kind of know who Doug Collins is. I mean, uh, we yeah. know exactly yeah. who Doug yeah. Collins Brian, is. Brian, I want to start with you on this. Um, here, here's what I'm reminded of when I see the way Kelly Leffler has uh, begun her career in public office. I'm a little bit reminded of when Sam Olins went from being the chairman of the Cobb County Commission, where he was highly respected for his kind of moderate f- way of governing and his conciliatory approach to politics. And when Olins decided to run for attorney general after rejecting the race for governor, uh, he had to make a sharp turn to the right. And it took Sam Bryan a long time to convince conservative Republicans that he really was one of them. 
And he did that by traveling the state nonstop. And he spent a great deal of his time in South Georgia, where he felt people may have been most skeptical of him. And it finally paid off. But Leffler has a similar challenge, I think. She does, Bill, and uh, that's an interesting parallel to draw with. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things we could say about comparing Sam to. No, Kelly I Huffler, think it's but, exactly yeah. right about moving right, but we're not going to do that. Convincing Brian. the right, you're one of them. <laughs> well, they, she has to do that, and that's what you're seeing her do. You know, I think if she wasn't worried about a strong Republican running against her, you wouldn't see her talking about the wall and and. You would see her talking much more like David Perdue. David Perdue's still 100% pro-Trump, but you know Galloway and I were at a uh, David Perdue speech a few weeks ago, and he was talking about bipartisanship and compromise and civility. And I was like, "What in the world's going on?" Am I in the right place? Here? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Kelly's not in a position to take those sort of tones, trying to get those independents to come her way, because she's got to go out there and get that core Republican voter she'll lose, and they know that. So this is the only pathway for them is to be 100% pro-Trump. If if Trump comes out and endorses Collins, she can't come out and attack Trump. That would that would be a suicide note, right? I mean, she's got to stick to the script that the team around her has produced. And to, to Kelly's point, I'm sorry. To Terry's, no, I'm point. To Terry's point. We're talking <laughs> about okay. Kelly. Um, to Terry's point, uh, Kelly is not a politician and doesn't come across as one. Yeah. She does come across as an outsider because she's not polished. You know, she doesn't look like she's been practicing for her stump speech for the last five years. Uh, and I, I think she's got to overcome that to some degree. She's got to be a little more savvy on camera. But that comes with time and with experience and with a lot of training. And one thing I noticed when she went to the Cobb County GOP this weekend was she didn't take questions. Now, some people may attack her for that. I would not. If I was around her, I'd be saying the same thing. You're not ready for this yet. Is is that Q&A where you can fall into a deep, dark well from which you can never, ever get back out, you know? And uh, particularly for someone when you've got this Republican base ready to attack her on something. That's a tough crowd. They're standing at the ready for her to quote-unquote, show her true colors and prove she's not a real conservative. So she can't do that. So her guard is up, and I think that's the right strategy. It's the only strategy. Uh, Tia, before we get move on to another subject, I, I, I'm curious about one thing, and, and that is this. Um, relationships between political leaders, between elected officials and, and reporters who cover them, uh, they have their ups and downs, but a savvy political a person, a savvy elected official, recognizes it makes sense, and Brian Robinson could certainly speak to this, to try to do your best to start off on a positive note with the person who is covering you. I'm just curious. It's certainly not crucial to the conversation, but did Leffler in any way uh, extend herself in greeting you, in saying she was looking forward to being able to work with you? Was there any kind of interconnection at all in which she showed she gets that? So I did sit down with her for about 15 minutes okay. yesterday before her swearing in. And first, I want to push back a little bit on what Brian said briefly. I think she's very polished. She just is not a politician, and she doesn't know that world. And so that's what she's learning. But as a person, Kelly Leffler's super polished. Now, back don't, to your don't, question. I don't, I don't disagree to you. I, I thank yeah. your clarification. I think, you, I think you're making my point. Yeah. Nope. Go ahead, yeah. Tia. And um, when we sat down yesterday, um, she answered all of my questions. And what I thought was interesting was, you know, towards the end, I said, you know, there's something that you wanted to bring up. It's kind of a classic reporter question, as you know. And she had read an article we published Monday morning um, from criticism with her Atlanta Dream supporters who are saying, you know, we don't know if we want to support the Dream because Kelly Leffler's become this conservative figure and she had read the AJC article and she had thought she had pushed back. And so I, to me, that indicated that she's, she's going to be, she's going to stick up for herself. And, and I thought that was interesting. Oh. And I told her, I look forward to talking more about, um, things like that. Yeah, see, it strikes me that's a great, that's a sign that she uh, she may not be a, a savvy political 
a person yet, but she understands you want to start off on the right foot well, with people to cover you. Well, I think it's a sign of you. how good a reporter Tia well, of is course and how happy is. I am that uh, she's up there in Washington. Before we move on, Terry, the uh, question, uh, of course, we did address this for a while yesterday, but let's get what you think about this. Democrats are leaving the field wide open for Kelly Leffler to define herself uh, for better or worse. No candidate in sight from the Democratic Party to take her on. There is a candidate. Really? Who is it? Well, We'd love to be able to report wait, that. Wait, I thought that um, Matt Lieberman. Oh, well, Matt Lieberman. Oh, I but, thought you were about but, to make an announcement. Yeah, no, I thought you were about oh, to tell oh, us something. Mercy. No, no. <laughs> and actually, part of my answer, like, no, it's, I think that's, I think the climate in Washington might be keeping a lot of folks, may, there might be some hesitancy to jump in. I mean, is that something that you really do want to jump into? Um, but that race, it is going to be it is it's going to be a grueling race. You need to be ready to fundraise nationally. You need to be ready to go to every hamlet in Georgia. You need to be ready to um, face a lot of attacks from the president and but from a lot of his But you're not arguing for Democrats no, to cede not. the field to I'm Kelly not. Leffler and David Perdue, obviously. I think, I think a lot of things are going to change. I mean, we know who the candidate is now. I think that now we're seeing who she is. And as, as we sort of determine, OK, who is Kelly Loeffler? How is she going to govern? That, I think, will determine then, OK, which Democrat is going to be the one who we put up. I think that it is going to be important to have one unified candidate from the Democratic side because this is a jungle primary. And so you don't want to dilute your own party's potential. But you, to make Bill's point, I mean, do you, either of you, I mean, you think it's OK for her to just Get away with being out there saying what she wants to say unchallenged. No, Democrats, the Democrats have to get it. Coming after her. What would I, your I advice think, be, Brian? Well, I, I don't I'm not in the business of giving Democrats advice on what to do. <laughs> but I have said to my Republican friends. <laughs> but if they paid her. If, if they paid me, this is what I would tell them. <laughs> it, I have been shocked at the silence of Georgia Democrats in the, the wake of the portal, the four-month wait, the selection. There there was an opening there because there was a lot of agitation going on during that time. People were getting a little frustrated and anxious. By and portal, you mean the application process. The application process, process yeah. yeah. Um, and Democrats didn't take advantage of any of it. Yeah. I mean, none of it. They were completely silent. And I would be coming out of my skin if the Republicans were sitting on the sidelines when there were these ripe targets to go after. So – I tell you, I, I have been surprised that they have given her a free pass. And you guys reported that there is a second Democrat who's gotten into the race against Leffler, a uh, professor out of UGA. He's yeah. a Bernie Sanders-style progressive. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't think that's going to be a serious contender. Here's the problem for the Democrats beyond the apparatus that's that's not there to attack Republicans, uh, whether it's Purdue, Leffler, or anybody else, is they don't have a credible top-notch African-American in any top-ranked yeah. office. And yeah. they've got to have that to mobilize the Democratic base in this yeah. state. All right. I got to get to a break. I do want to point out as we do that, uh, Brian Robinson reminding us when he talks about jumping out of his skin if he were a Democrat, just how aggressive he was when he was working in politics actively. He was the scourge. Notorious. <laughs> be a better word than aggressive. Right. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's get a break out of the way. When we come back, uh, David Perdue uh, was, a, was a sponsor of a resolution to dismiss the impeachment trial uh, again, or the impeachment of President Trump. I want to talk with all of you about that after these messages. I'm Sandy Scott, Director of Marketing at the Booth Western Art Museum in Cartersville, Georgia. The Booth Museum is a 120,000 square foot art museum that also has a presidential gallery. The museum is actually the largest Western art museum in the Southeast. We underwrite with GPB because it reaches a, a multitude of people that we normally would not reach. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. The Kushner and Trump families have had access to money and power for decades. And? When you have wealthy people controlling government over democratic processes, you are approaching an oligarchy. And that is where we are now in America. I'm Ari Shapiro. A new book looks at how the Trump presidency is reshaping American democracy. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 6 here on GPB. 
Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. During the break, uh, Tom Faust uh, told me, and I actually already saw it on some of our social media, that for those of you who have been listening on the radio, we had some technical glitches in which you were hearing apparently a GPB promo played over and over and over again. And so we apologize. I think they fixed that. Um, but Faust also wanted me to remind you that during the same period that people on the, were having trouble on the radio, we had a huge Facebook Live audience. And if you're frustrated by the radio feed every now and then, go over to Facebook Live and uh, you can uh, uh, listen to us or watch us there. Sorry for that problem. Um, and if you're on Facebook Live, please get on and say something nice about Brian Robinson <laughs> because it is – I typically got – I go back – I'm just getting slammed for the entire hour almost every time. I, I – you mean uh, not just on the show? You mean actually on Facebook Live? Yeah, it's, well. it's largely my wife, okay. but <laughs> but I think there's a Democrats too. I have always wished that um, I love our, the passion of the people who post about the show on Facebook Live. I will also say that I've always wished that our listeners, viewers, showed the same respect for all of our panelists <laughs> as I try to do day to day. Um, uh, Tia, uh, David Perdue uh, uh, put out a news release, which uh, you were the first one to get uh, call it to my attention yesterday afternoon. He became, along with Josh Hawley of uh, Missouri, a Republican, of course, one of a number of sponsors of an action to dismiss the impeachment against President Trump. In the statement, Perdue is quoted as saying the Democrats' impeachment process in the U.S. House was nothing more than a partisan show trial. Now Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer are trying to play the same political games in the U.S. Senate. And uh, and so this resolution calls for an end to the impeachment. Um, where is that headed? And, and how many senators are on board with this, Tia? So, I mean, it's, it's funny. Uh, Jamie Dupree from WSB Radio tweeted yesterday, and he was like, let's just be clear. The Senate can't tell the House what to do. Right. So the Senate can't force the House or Nancy Pelosi to move forward. You know, right now, impeachment is in the hands of the House. It does not get in the hands of the Senate until the House sends the articles charges over. Nancy Pelosi has chosen not to do that yet. And so... What Senator Hawley and the 10 co-sponsors, including Senator Perdue, want to do is they want to change the Senate rules so that, you know, should they not get the articles within a certain time frame, then the Senate can move forward and say, the House didn't send us the charges, and so we're going to dismiss them. And that's dubious because, again, per Jamie Dupree, who knows all, you know, they can't, <laughs> they can't dismiss the House's charges. You know, because those are the House's charges. So just because the Senate kind of creates this rule, it wouldn't necessarily negate or dismiss what the House has done. So, yes, the Senate could do it. I think this is more more than a true action. I think the Senate is just, you know, sending that message that it is time. Send us the charges. Stop holding us up. And, and, and I think that could work um, this week where, you know, it's finally time for the House to send the article. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Terry, all that said, here's what uh, uh, Purdue's office put out by way of background on this. They said this, and I'll ask you to reply. The U.S. Senate has adopted a set of 26 rules that govern, govern all impeachment procedures. Those rules presume prompt delivery of the articles of impeachment to the Senate following their adoption by the U.S. House. Article 1, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution gives the Senate the sole power to try impeachment cases if the Speaker refuses to transmit the articles after the President has been impeached. She could prevent the Senate from exercising its constitutional right. Well, I mean, I will throw out to you, um, the, the, the Purdue statement says those rules presume prompt delivery of the articles. But I don't know that that presumption is anywhere in the real laws or rules that govern impeachment. I, I don't think the word presume is in there. And yeah. I don't I, 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 and I, I going back to what <laughs> Tia said that that Jamie Dupree said, they I think the intent of this is to get the press release out and to make their statement and to rally their bases. But they can't actually do anything with this. And even if they could, I think you have to be careful what you ask for, because if heaven forbid impeachment becomes a thing that just happens in, a, in, a, in an era of hyper partisanship, when you have a climate where you have just an absolute 
chasm mm-hmm. between the parties. I don't know if you'd want to make a rule change like that. Yeah, I, you know, Kevin, it is interesting that we're now, the House and Senate have been back. They're in their second day after a long break, and we're still waiting to hear Speaker Pelosi make any kind of statement about what her intentions and plans are in terms of transmitting the impeachment articles to the Senate. And it does strike me that the longer we hear nothing, the more Republicans have an opening to really cry foul on this. I suppose that's true. I mean, I, you know, I, I do think we've seen Nancy Pelosi, no matter what you think of her, usually have reasons or a strategy behind what she's doing. I, the thing that struck me about this is that no one was talking about impeachment because of all of the trouble with Iran. And uh, David Perdue got it back on the, you know, perhaps on the front page. Who knows? I mean, and so I just wonder about that as a strategy. I mean, no one was – who was talking about impeachment yesterday, really? No one. You know, Brian, what, what Kevin just said is interesting to me because he's right. We all think of Nancy Pelosi. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't like her very much, but she is a superb strategist. And I personally have really been looking forward to hearing how she now uh, frames the impeachment – Uh, knowing that there's more information that's being exposed, but also in the light of what's happening in Iran right now, it's going to be interesting to see how Pelosi frames all this in the days ahead. Well, I I think that even President Trump has acknowledged that she's a pretty strong strategist and a strong leader. I mean, you he almost never he's very rarely attacked her. I mean, you know, he has from time to a time. uh, But but the most part, he's shown a respect in a way that kind of surprises you. I don't really know what her strategy is going to be. I'm interested to look because I think she's in a corner, right? I don't think she wanted to do impeachment to begin with, but the critical mass within her caucus got to be too much for her to hold back the floodgates. And now she's got there just holding this flaming bag of you-know-what and doesn't know what to do with it. It's not polling well for them nationally. It's going to hurt well, them well, in it's, swing it's, it's not f- – polling any worse than it had been polling. Everything's kind of frozen in place. About equal numbers of people are for impeachment and removal as are against it, and that's been consistent. That may not be good news for Democrats, but it's it's what's happened here. I think Democrats thought that the Americans were with them, and they weren't. And I think there are a lot of people who, even those who don't like Donald Trump, think this doesn't rise to the level of removing somebody from office, particularly in an election year when Americans are going to have a choice. So I think this is part of the strategy so far is to come up with some excuse not to send them over because it's not going to go well for Democrats. It didn't go well for Democrats even when they were controlling the narrative in the House that they control. Tia, what's the mood up there? I mean, is it all Iran all the time on Capitol Hill right now? And has impeachment just really faded for the time being? So I definitely think Iran changed what lawmakers thought they were going to be focused on upon return. Um, But that being said, there still has not been much officially said because the the briefing started today with um, high-level congressional leaders. Tomorrow morning, there are more briefings for the, the body. And so I think a lot of members are really, like, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. You know, I do expect, you know, the House has talked about passing a resolution you know, maybe on Thursday. And so I do think later in the week we'll see um, a clearer message come out. Um, And, of course, members have taken this, you know, the Republicans are on social media saying, thank you, Donald Trump, for keeping us safe. And Democrats are on social media saying this, um, don't don't commit war crimes and come to Congress and get permission. And so, um, but but an official, like, here's how we're going to move forward, that's still to be determined, but I think we'll know more, you know, after they get these briefings tomorrow. Yeah. And, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry, Tia, finish. No, 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 that's it. Go ahead. Well, I, what I was going to say, Terry, is, of course, we'll know more Thursday because Thursday is the day that uh, Speaker Pelosi has her weekly news conference. That's right. And and going back to what Brian was saying about, you know, and, and Kevin also, Pelosi, 
she doesn't just not do anything for no reason, and she doesn't do anything for no reason. She knows exactly what she's doing. I think that the other thing that the other factor you could have here is I, I think that, yeah, there was a lot of pressure for Pelosi to move forward with, with the impeachment, even though I think she might have had some misgivings about it as a tactic. But I think that you will probably see some of that same pressure emerging to go ahead and move this over to the Senate. All right. Um, we've got we'll, we'll be around all week to talk about how this develops in the week ahead. It'll be especially interesting, Kevin, to hear the speaker on Thursday in her, her weekly news conference. Well, to add, uh, the Wall Street Journal just reported that Mitch McConnell, uh, the majority leader in the Senate, told reporters today that he has enough votes to set impeachment trial rules that don't guarantee new witnesses. Yeah, he's thank you for uh, pointing that out, uh, that that story has been brewing. And it uh, basically what uh, McConnell is talking about is starting the impeachment proceedings, reading the articles, and deciding after the impeachment trial has started whether witnesses should be called or not, which, of course, Democrats are adamantly opposed to. So we'll watch how that develops. I just wonder if uh, former National Security Director Bolton just wants his moment in the sun. And yeah, or, or whether yeah. he realizes he's not going to be able to get his book out there and face the kind of criticism he'd get if he publishes a book but doesn't show willingness <laughs> to talk in an impeachment <laughs> trial. Uh, Kevin, there is something really interesting bubbling up at the Capitol this session uh, more than ever, and of course the session starts next Monday, and that's the fact that there seems to be increased uh, interest in taking a serious look at whether the state of Georgia is giving away too much money to the film and television industry for the work they do here in Georgia. We have the highest uh, tax credit in the country for film and television production. And uh, this has been talked about before, but now you've got Governor Kemp in an interview, I think, with one of your reporters saying, I might be willing to listen to some of this. This has been for years uh, one of the one of the uh, things that people have talked about as being incredibly important for the economy of Georgia. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, turn out to be very divisive. I'm interested to see what your other guests think, but uh, I know how people in the industry feel, feel about this. I mean, they really believe it has helped Georgia grow the industry, that it has made Georgia a special place. And when you say we have the highest credits, I, th I think what you mean is we are returning the most money to the yes. industry through tax credits. But the rate yeah. is the same rate as some other states. It's just that Georgia's economy has been able to push this harder and further than other states have been able to do. And it's just an interesting thing that all of a sudden it's become a controversy because of state budget. Terry, you've tight. got some new numbers uh, that come from the – where do they come from? I do. This is the Georgia Department of Audits and Accounts, their performance audit division. This is just something that happens – um, you know, the, the audit, I'm always getting emails about different audits of different departments, different things that are happening. They're not, it's not an indictment it's, it, of any kind. It's simply a statement saying, you know, here's, we did a performance audit. This is saying the performance audit division of the Georgia Department of Audits and Accounts announces the release of the performance artist of the administration of the Georgia Film Tax Credit. There's a full report. This is just sort of the overview. And and I think that this will this report will probably come into play. Basically, what they're saying is that right now, the the film tax, if you're if you're given an incentive, there are no audits that are happening. And so I think that there 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 is probably room to increase some of the oversight of some of the the productions that are getting these film tax credits. But um, you know, I think that we have to be very careful when we talk about changing these tax credits. I am from Louisiana. So are a lot of folks who work here in the film industry in Georgia now because Louisiana decided to do away with their tax credits, thinking that the industry had put down roots there and was going to be there forever. And it, that's not how it works. All you need is space. Brian, your take on this is particularly interesting because, of course, on, on working for Governor Deal, as you did, this is, a, this is a tax credit that your former boss protected aggressively. He believed it was incredibly important, and I suspect that he would now look at the possibility that Governor Kemp may be a little softer on protecting it with some dismay. I think that there was a much stronger Kemp quote in the Marietta Daily Journal yeah. that kind of came out at the same time as the AJC. The AJC headline kind of made it sound like, you know, the governor was open to making some changes. The, the Marietta story made it much more clear that the governor 
thinks that film's tax credit has worked really well and that he is going to look at these studies of the tax credit with a dubious eye, or at least a critical eye, because he thinks most of these, according to his quote, have some agenda-driven... Can you imagine uh, state officials and others overestimating economic impact on something? Has that ever happened before? But wait, but, <laughs> I, but, I, but I think, Brian, you make a very good point. Here, here's among... Here's what the governor said to the Marietta Daily Journal, I'm very supportive of the film industry yes. in our state. I know that Senator Tippins, talking about Lindsey Tippins, yes. who really wants to uh, uh, reduce the tax credit, has his thoughts and concerns. There are a lot of different reports that have been out. Um, I'm eager to see the reports. I think the credits have been successful. Uh, and then he goes on, it just, he says, I'm reserving judgment on anything until I see actual reports and where they came from. Georgia Tech has been engaged to do a study on whether there are big economic benefits coming out of the tax credits. And, and the governor's office, um, I believe, has has that report now, and I think they're they're digesting it. And I think, as somebody who was in a governor's office, a previous governor's office, I think what Governor Kemp there said was very strong. That was a very clear statement of support. One of he doesn't want to undermine an industry that is growing exponentially in the state. Now, I also understand that he may not draw a line in the sand days before a new session starts because a governor can only pick so many fights and make that his or her fight, right? And so he's being calculated and strategic in how he's approaching it. But that statement says where he is on this. And let me point this out. We went from one soundstage in the state before the tax credit to today more than 70. Yeah. And so we, we have the billions of dollars in new infrastructure. But what I'm hearing from industry folks, and there was a Pinewood Studios story that came out uh, over the weekend, they are moving more toward content creation. And so you're going to be having highly educated, right. highly skilled people getting jobs here in these new endeavors. So over the next decade, the growth in American film is coming to Georgia as long as we don't screw it up. Terry, you want to weigh in? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. I mean, I know that there are a lot of other places. Look at how China is trying to build up their film industry. There are lots of places who would love to, they'd be happy to very cheaply produce all kinds of content for all of the different services that are that are providing content here. I think that I, I agree with Brian. I'm doing a lot of agreeing with Brian today, but I think that the MDJ article, it was, a, it was I think, a much more telling statement what we got from the governor there because I think the other thing he said, and I think that Jim Galloway alluded to this in his piece also, if you were to do a Venn diagram of the fiscal conservatives who are saying, oh, maybe we should revisit the film tax credit and the social conservatives that we have in the state of Georgia, it's probably pretty close to being a circle. And I think that that is a lot of what is happening here. You have a lot of the fear of the Hollywood values. I will tell you, the people who would love to see us, see us start messing with the film tax credit is Hollywood. They would they would be happy you to mean take the, it. Yeah, you yes. mean Los Angeles, yes. actual city. Yes. Would like yes. to they would take be back. Ha- more than happy <laughs> yes. to see Georgia make moves to eliminate uh, that yeah. tax credit. Kevin, right. last word before yeah, the I mean, break. You have seen other states and frankly other countries go down this path, and when you create uncertainty for an industry, they go to a place where they can get certainty. Yep. It's not complicated. Yep. All right, I want to get a break. It. Hey, Tia, is it starting to snow in Washington? I have no idea. You know, I don't know where the windows are here. Here's what I'd like. If you're okay with this, we're going to take a break. But given that I'd hate for you to get stuck in the Capitol, would you like, we will be more than happy to thank you for being here and let you find your way home on the metro or however you expect to get there. Is that fair? Well, it's up to you. I'm here because the house, as of right now, oh, they're still in six thirty. Oh, I thought they weren't going to. Okay, all right. Then we'll take a break and come back with Tia Mitchell and everybody else. <laughs> Contributions from listeners like you make all the programs you hear possible. And now your support can have even more power when you donate a car, truck, SUV, or boat you no longer need. GPB accepts all types of vehicles and invests the proceeds to bring you more of the programs you love. It's easy, and we pick up your vehicle for free. Visit gpb.org cars to learn more, or call 877-GPB-1-CAR to donate your vehicle today. After chronicling the lives of girls for 25 years, Peggy Orenstein has turned her attention to boys in the Me Too era and how they're constrained by gender roles and ideals of masculinity. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with her about her new book, 
boys and sex, young men on hookups, love, porn, consent, and navigating the new masculinity. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. You're listening to the all-new five-day-a-week uh, Political Rewind here on GPB Radio. Kevin Riley and Tia Mitchell in Washington representing the Atlanta Journal-Constitution today. Riley, of course, the editor of the paper. I don't think I mentioned that at the start of the show, and I always want to give you due credit for your important job. I can I can believe that you do. I do. Brian Robinson uh, is here, and uh, so is uh, Terry Anulowitz. Um, I want to let's talk uh, briefly about the presidential race in Georgia. I was. I, my, I, and Brian, if I can, I want to start with you on this because you, you're a former campaign guy. So uh, the AJC reports that Elizabeth Warren is the first Democratic candidate who's really decided to staff up here in Georgia. And she's adding people. She's going to build a staff first in Metro Atlanta and Columbus, uh, her people say. And then they'll add Savannah uh, and a couple other c- cities around the state. So I find that a little, I find it odd that if Democrats really think Georgia is in play, I get Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, you have to start building an infrastructure in these states relatively early. And if you're raising a lot of money, wouldn't you want to already have some people in place here in this state if it truly could be purple in the next year? Well, that's going to be an issue more for the National Democratic Party to figure out. I mean, the nominees are dealing with a limited pool of money. And I actually think that the Warren investment in Georgia is extraordinary and a bit of a head scratcher. Hey, if you got enough money, great, you know, put boots on the ground. But the presidential nominating process for both parties is different than a statewide race in Georgia where you're going to want a big grassroots network because this race is so driven by media coverage about what happens in other states and these these nationally televised debates, people are getting a lot more information about these candidates than they do on a more local race where that that knock on the door matters a lot more. So if I was Elizabeth Warren, I wouldn't be spending money in Georgia just yet. I, I'm glad she is. Hey, I, I love to see some, some tax revenue coming our way from out of state. But that's not how I would be All right, my so life. I go back in history, Kevin Riley, to, to filter that, the, this through that. I remember. So are you going? I go, you go way back. I was going to say to like Millard. Fillmore I go back like, to 1988 okay. when Dick Gephardt <laughs> was one of like seven or eight Democrats running for president, and he went around the country bragging about how he had his infrastructure all built up in southern states, particularly Georgia. It turned out he didn't have. Anybody in place in Georgia really? early on, and I frankly, I did a story that sort of blew the cover on that. <laughs> and I mean, my point is, I I am surprised that I mean, I know we're after Super Tuesday, and I get what Brian is saying, but is Georgia purple or not? You know, I I, I think it. You might. She might be just doing the same thing, giving people something to talk about. I suppose that's yeah. possible, right? Yeah. But but don't. Isn't there a long? I mean. Uh, she might not even be relevant by that time. Well, that's exactly. absolutely true. That's, yeah. I mean, I get that. I, that's why I say I know there's lots of yeah. uh, things that are going to happen before then. There, there's a lot of time. We've had all this talk today about missed opportunities for a running start. It is very refreshing to see someone taking a running start. I, I think the staffing is genuine. I mean, she, you know, she has Bev Jackson. Yeah. Bev, I got to know Bev when she was working for the Abrams campaign in Cobb County. At Cobb County, you know, Abrams won Cobb, 30,000 more votes for Abrams than there were for Kemp. I think that this is a real thing. I think that they're, they're, it's a genuine investment they're making in Georgia. And I think that they are really trying to have, you know, to have a ground game. Tia, I think what's interesting about this uh, is in, from the Washington point of view is that Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar, they may be stuck in Washington at an impeachment trial and not able to get out and get on the campaign trail certainly early on in Iowa, New Hampshire, whenever this trial actually starts. Yeah, they definitely could could lose a couple of weeks this month, which will, you know, kind of be a little bit um, inconvenient for those who um, intend on competing in Iowa and New Hampshire. But I think what Elizabeth Warren is doing is she's looking at the long game and she's um, assuming, probably based on her own internal polling and things like that, that the Democratic nomination is not going to be sewn up anytime soon. And that it's not that, you know, 
just looking at those primary states in, in February in Super Tuesday, but that states like Georgia, like Florida, um, will be in play and that those delegate votes in those states are going to be crucial to the nomination. Brian, uh, that's certainly right. I, I We all saw a Politico article which suggests that there are increasingly Democratic uh, campaign consultants who are saying, gee, this thing could go down the roadways, as did uh, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, as did Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama. Uh, we could be in this race for a long time on the Democratic side. Absolutely. And I said on your show in 2019, when we set the primary date for Georgia later than we normally March would. March 24th, yeah. After Super Tuesday. And I said, whoa, 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 remember how much attention Michigan got in 2016, how much attention Wisconsin got in 2016 in that Clinton versus Sanders race. Georgia's going to get that because we're going to be standing alone, essentially, on that date. And so we're going to get a lot more individual attention than we would if we were earlier. And we may have a more decisive role in this. So that's really interesting. But I want to answer the purple question. If I missed, that was your, your main question. I apologize. We are not a purple state. We are a purpling state. And I I say that because Democrats have not met the threshold. Until they win a statewide office, a U.S. Senate seat, a governor's seat, this is a red state. Terry, there are people who would say that Georgia is already a blue state. It's just people don't vote. <laughs> I think that, that that there's something, too. That was Stacey Abrams says we're, we're, a, we're a, a blue state that's a little bit confused right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last uh, item that I want to at least begin to talk about. And, Terry, because I have you here and you're going to start your session on Monday. So Senator Burt Jones has made it clear that he, once again, this session is going to fight to get Hartsfield-Jackson Airport out of the hands of the city and make it part of the state, a state authority. Uh, is this going to gain any more momentum? In the past, we've had people like, I think I'm right, and tell me if I'm wrong, the speakers opposed this, I believe. And I'm not hearing a whole lot about this in the House. And okay. I know when it came up last year, it did not have a whole lot of steam once it came over to the House side of things. Um, you know, it's Hartfield Jackson Air- Airport. Burt Jones is from Jackson, but Jackson, Georgia is not the same place. Yeah. And I think that what the city of Atlanta is doing, putting in an inspector general, getting a transparency officer who's going to be serving underneath that inspector general, I think that that may go a long way to assuaging any fears that I think people on the House side of things might have. Yeah, Kevin, that's really important that, that the, the city is now looking at establishing a position of an inspector general overseeing what happens at the airport. That might be a great defense if they, as they try to head off the Burt Joneses of the legislature. Yeah, let's just hope the city can actually get there with, you know, actual more transparency in its operation, because there's been a lot of talk and not enough done, certainly over the past year. The other thing about this airport takeover, I I mean, Delta, I think, has been clear that they don't think it's a good idea. And and to me, that's kind of an important constituent. Yeah. Yeah. Brian? There is a way to go about this without a complete takeover. Delta is an important constituent. But beyond that, you've got bonds and contracts that have been signed with the city. All of that will be upended if there was a state takeover. I think that a more reasonable and achievable approach was to do a state oversight panel to root out corruption, you know, have a long-term plan, strategic vision that benefits the entire state. But Atlanta's efforts here will, will act as a good pushback on that. All right. I got to call a halt. Uh, we're completely out of time for today's show. Tia Mitchell, uh, be safe up there in the snowstorm in Washington. Uh, Kevin Riley, Brian Robinson, Terry Anulowitz, thank you for a really good conversation today. I'm Bill Nygut. We're back again tomorrow at 2 with another Political Rewind. I hope to see all of you then. Take care, everybody.